0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit tomboyx.com to shop.
1: Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles.
0: Experience the music and her story.
1: Know this. I ain't no spy scale.
0: Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy.
1: On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just
0: being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. We're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical bill expert, finding savings can seem impossible. Well, HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and flags errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. So start saving with knowing where to look. Visit HealthLock.com today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. morning peeps and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording live-ish from our Podstream studios and Times Square. You know, I am really excited about today's interview with the author of a new book, her very first memoir, Bad Fat Black Girl, author Cecily Bowen, and I met roughly 10 years ago. Funny enough, it's so funny how you traverse different circles and different places and then get to be a part of seeing people's glow up, right? And Cecily and I met because she was working with a feminist women's organization that was focused on abortion that was particularly focused on abortions and abortion rights for black and brown women who have traditionally been left out of the conversations with regard to feminism or have been erased from the history of first, second, third wave feminism. And what she explores in her memoir is her own acceptance and understanding of what it means to be a trap feminist, right? What it means to decide that you are no longer going to bow to the constraints that a white supremacist, misogynistic, patriarchal society places on the bodies and the experiences and the movements and the vocal tones of black women. And what this book lifts up is the lived experiences of black girls from the hood, right, whose stories are oftentimes told, if told at all, particularly by Hollywood, with how downtrodden, how troubled, how we should all feel empathy and sad as opposed to lifting up the fullness of these people and their joy and experiences and community and relationship building. So I'm excited for you all to be a part of this conversation. And I would love that when you have an opportunity after listening, that you share your thoughts on what your definition of feminism is. Are you a feminist? Coming up next, dear friends, is my conversation with the author of Bad Fat Black Girl, Cecily Bowen. I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Folks, I am so excited to welcome to Woke AF Daily for the first time, Cecily Bowen, who is the author. I love this title. I love this title. Bad Fat Black Girl, Notes from a Trap Feminist. Um Cecily you are also the host of um Purse um the the host of uh Purse the first podcast about female and queer rappers which you know, according to mainstream hip hop, you would think that we only have about one or two female rappers right now, let alone any queer ones. So I appreciate that as well. And you were formerly the senior entertainment writer uh, at refinery twenty nine creating different outlets and spaces in white pop culture for black female voices. Um Talk to me about what it means to be a trap feminist. Let's just start from the beginning. So people understand the distinction, because I think that right now we are seeing a, I don't even want to say a resurgence, but a birth of a different type of feminism, a different type um, of, of, of womanism. So talk to me about what it means to be a trap feminist.
1: And I'm so glad that you brought that up because while trap feminism was something that I had initially started to like say out loud and kind of ruminate on almost 10 years ago now, the impetus for writing this book is because we're having that that resurgence or, you know, this kind of popularization of a very specific kind of feminism that is rooted in the experiences of essentially hood Black girls. And the mm-hmm. soundtrack to that, I'm glad you mentioned the podcast Purse First because the soundtrack to this movement is all of this amazing female rap that we have right now. So just for some context, I think that's super important. But what it means to be a trap feminist is to really look at and honor the experiences of Black women and specifically Black women who are from the hood. So Mm -hmm. Black women who come from that cultural space of Blackness that is so often um, commodified, that is so often appropriated, and that is so often vilified and talked about without actually ever hearing from the Black women who live those experiences. And it's very important to understand that trap feminism is not about... um, Pathologizing or intervening in the lives of like hood Black women, so like mm-hmm. what it actually does is celebrate all of the ways in which those specific kinds of Black women have already been thriving and surviving, and and living and being the blueprint and literally creating cultural exports that people continuously exploit all the time and, you know, been popping while we was doing it, you know? And so, um, that, that is what trap feminism does. And I, in one of the things that is so, dope about it is that it does look specifically at trap music and the sight of trap music as a way to start interrogating some of the themes um, regarding gender and sexuality and race and capitalism and money and all of those kinds of things.
0: You know, I I love, I, I love this because, you know, one of the things that I think too often happens is in our quest to be I I don't even know. We don't really use the term politically correct because nothing is politically correct anymore. But in our way to kind of um, distance black people and blackness from the hood, right? There has been this... What can I say? Sanitizing of the black, sanitizing of the black experience and sanitizing of the type of black women or black woman that is okay to discuss. Right. So I would argue that, you know, when, when we had Michelle Obama as our first lady, right. Um, even though Michelle Obama was very clear that she came from the South side of Chicago, even though she's very clear about like the distinctions and of, of her upbringing, she still came through Ivy. She still had to, um, uh, uh, I, I, I would say wash off some of the hood nature itself in order for acceptance. So do you feel that in in this kind of space that we are in now in this cultural space that we are in, that we can have conversations with uh, about what it means to be from the hood about what it means to have this multifacetedness as black people as black women without having to sanitize ourselves or make ourselves safe for mainstream consumption, like we don't have to run from it anymore?
1: I think that, you know, that's one of the revolutionary properties of social media is that that's where Black women are having those conversations without watering down or sanitizing um, themselves, there's literally the the first, I don't know why this is the first person who came to my mind. There's this hairstylist I follow. She like does wig installations. Um, and her name is Queen Leora. She's based in Alabama, but like, she does these voiceovers of her doing her installation and she speaks in her accent. She cusses. She's very, she's very clear just about who she is. And she's getting all of these followers and all of, you know, the, these kinds of, um, You know, now she's starting to do like brand deals and stuff. And she does that unapologetically for being who she is. And I think it's interesting because, you know, I feel like for the first, you know, for the 2010s and maybe like the early offs, the only people we were letting do that were actually men who were impersonating Black women. Like those were the only people yep. that we were letting show up as hood black girls. And so now I feel like we're actually letting black women do it, but it's so interesting. I love that you brought that up because, you know, you you mentioned some of the places that I, that I worked and, you know, essentially that is what a lot of people would call women's media, you know, mainstream, mm-hmm. mainstream pop culture. And it was when I got to that space, you know, obviously I'm from Chicago, but then I've also lived in D.C. I've lived in Atlanta. I'm from these very like black, these places with like these, you know, big Black populations, but I think it was when I started to work in media that I started to see that the Black people who were traditionally occupying space in in that specific industry, were absolutely not from the hood, and the ones that were were doing everything they could to you know not uh, be from the hood. not be from the hood. And but but the thing about it was that because I had a very non traditional path into journalism and into media, like I never went to journalism school or any of that. My voice and my perspective as a black girl from the hood is actually what got me in the door. It was, you know, we were in on the advent of this, um, it was the era of the personal narrative and we were questioned, it was like where pop culture and feminism were really having another kind of um merging together. This was when scandal was on, everybody wanted to know if everything was feminist. And so my voice really got me in the door. And I knew I, I could not start to sacrifice who I was, you know. For the work and for the space and obviously like you know I had to try to figure out how to navigate that you know while also like maintaining like you know the norms of like professionalism and things like that but I was very adamant that I did not want to sacrifice who I was and I was adamant that like as much as we talked about like you know, the origins of a certain hairstyle. I knew that that wasn't enough in terms of actually reflecting the voices of those women. Because I think on the very other side of that, we have all of these moments happening um on the political side right well we have black trans women being killed at super high rates most of those black trans women who were being killed were from the hood you know we have Breonna Taylor's death you know we have all of these all of a sudden black women are like martyrs and like we hear about them in death and we hear about them after they've been you know um experienced intimate partner violence we hear about them as statistics you know Mm -hmm. in terms of you know them contracting HIV or what the income gap is between them, there were all of these, there are all these very material um, outcomes of what it means to be Black and from the hood and to be female and Black and from the hood um, that folks like to talk about, and in that way, hood Black girls become ideas. And they're not actually, we, we don't actually ever hear from them though. We don't talk to them. And it's not enough that we just say, oh, they influenced this cultural trend. That, that does not make up for us not hearing those stories. And yeah. so, you know, that, it was really wanting to just make space for the fact that we we can be spoken to and we should be allowed to speak instead of always being spoken about.
0: You know what I also find interesting, too, is the pushback that we see in the comment sections on some Black pages, right? So you will have, um, you know, various various folks, various Black women, right? So whether it's city girls, whether it is, you know, um, Lotto, whether it is Michelle Obama, what have you, and there's always a set of black people, black women in particular, who are embarrassed by those said women or saying, you know, uh, so-and-so didn't die so that you could shake your ass like this or so-and-so didn't. What do you say? You know, what, 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 is it just the internalized, like, whiteness of it all or, like, don't let black, don't let white folks, you know, don't air out our dirty laundry type of thing? What do you think is kind of this stem where 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 that internalized oppression is coming from
1: so i think it has a lot to do with respectability and survival i think that we are you know it's it's hammered into us from such you know, from so many different angles and from so many different places that in order to make it in the world, that in order to be an upstanding citizen, you are to deny a lot of the things that really make you black, that make you blickety black, black, you know, not not just, you know, your ancestral roots or anything like that. And so, you know, it was a conversation that was, I remember the same conversation happening with black men around uh, sagging their pants. Um, The conversations that were had around black men wearing locks, or having braids in institutions and in institutions from the NFL and the NBA to Morehouse. And so I think it's really just a re- a reflection of that, but I think the the issue with that is that first of all, respectability politics have never saved us, and they no. never will. And the faster we accept that, um, the better off we will be honestly and truly, um, that will not stop us from experiencing um, the trickle down of systemic racism, gender-based violence, sexism, or any of that. However, I do think that some of the tools of respectability, they help lighten the load. I mean, I can say even for myself, the fact that I am college educated, the fact that I the, the fact that I have the gift of literacy itself, the fact that I can read and write, Mm -hmm, Period. mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. helps me to have the platform to even be able to talk about, to be able to talk about trap feminism. But I think where we mess up is that we cannot participate in that while also promoting the eradication of the things that just make us Black, you know? And I learned that from a lot of different people. You know, one of my um, mentors, friends, one of my professors in college was Dr. Ruth Nicole Brown, who started this program called Soul High, Saving Our Lives, Hearing Our Truths. And the basic principle of this program was that, you know, us as college students and college professors, we would go to work with Black girls at like local schools, off campus, you know, people who were just from that neighborhood and, you know, we were not going into those schools with like an interventionist approach. A lot of the programs that have been catered to working with black girls were about like, you know, polishing them up, Yeah. teaching them about, we have to teach them about hygiene. We have to teach them to be ladies. We have Mm -hmm. to teach them to thrive because like the idea was that there was something inherent about black girlhood or about being black girls from the hood that they just didn't know about like how to be like women of the world. And we were like, no, actually we want to go in there and like do art and like, let them tell their own stories. And we want them to roll their necks and pop their lips. And we want them to just revel in the beauty that is black girlhood. And then we can make them that we can make the meaning of that. And they can make the meaning of their own lives. Like, like, let's have them tell us actually um you know what their what their lives are like what they need and what they need to experience and so that is a practice that is very much so embedded in the heart of trap feminism and in terms of how i work but i think that's also my response to a lot of the fear going back to your question to a lot of the fear and a lot of the respect respectability pushback that we see online especially from other black folks that like if we you know, no one died for me to be able to for me to shake my ass on the internet, but they also didn't die for me to be ashamed of shaking my ass on the internet either. You know, that <laughs> that, wasn't, me, yeah, that right. wasn't the end all be all. Like, let's be like when we talk right. about why, you know, if we, you know, Martin Luther King is usually who they who they use as the example. But like, if we want to talk about what Martin Luther King died for, like Martin Luther King died as a at the hands of white supremacy and in an attempt to end white supremacy. Like it ain't had nothing to do with who was shaking their ass or who was not, you know, um, because in an ideal world. You know, if, if we really eradicated white supremacy, me shaking my ass would not be a sign of inferiority or unproductivity or failure in the way that you think it is. Because oh we, my
0: god, I love it. Yeah, yes. like yes, yes. I,
1: I'm
0: not I'm not gonna
1: turn into no white woman for y'all. I'm
0: sorry, I'm just not
1: gonna do it. Okay, like y'all, <laughs> we are we are not. Uh, elitism is not gonna save us. Respectability is not gonna save it, us. And and honestly, like we've been doing fine. I think that's also the issue that like. The the damage that you think is being caused by a black girl shaking her ass on the internet just doesn't exist in the way you think it does. But what does is like misogyny.
0: <laughs> that, I was gonna say that because, hurt. homophobia because, hurts homophobia <laughs> hurt. Yeah. Because because what the, the product, the 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 issue is not about whether or not or how or when to shake your ass, right? Like that is actually not the thing. It's about being free or being or living in a perceived free society that there is not going to be repercussions for doing so. Repercussion being like, oh, well, that's why she got raped or that's why she got beat or that's why this happened. And it's just like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That didn't come from that action. That came from what we have decided in our society is normal and, and acceptable. Right. Yep. That misogyny is OK. That patriarchy is OK. That abuse of women is OK. You know, it was um, earlier uh, it was supposed to be the seventeen seventeenth 17th birthday of Makia, who was gunned down uh, last year uh, in front of her foster care home by police who rolled up in the midst of a fight. And,
1: Brian. I literally Bur- Brian. Yep.
0: and you know, and Micaiah did not receive the type of wall to wall coverage campaign and all of these things. And a part of me believes, and I, and I want to ask you this, is it because she was not the perfect martyr? Is it because she wasn't thin? Is it because her background wasn't polished? right? That we couldn't say that, oh, she was asleep in her bed or, oh, she was doing X, like that she was in the action of defending herself and her body. And we don't like to see black women doing that. Like, what do you, why do you think, you know, and and I, cause I I, want to honor that, like honor the truth about why her name will most likely be lost as years go on and not a part of the broader array of hashtags that we know and stories that we can conjure because of the contact of it. That is so,
1: and you literally hit the nail on the head. People are not rallying around the death of that 15 year old girl, because let's be like, she was a 15 year old child who had already been disserviced and not Mm -hmm. receiving things that she deserved as an as an innocent child just by way of being in a problematic foster care system in the Mm -hmm. first place Mm -hmm. but it literally is because she was in the active mode of fighting back and defending herself from what she saw as a threat that people have not run to like defend her name in the same way that they did a black woman who literally wasn't doing anything except sleeping. And I think that that, and, and also so much comes with that. The fact that she was a bigger black girl, people did not see her as a victim who even needed to defend herself in the first place. Yeah. They thought that she should just have been in a situation. She must have been the, ob- the aggressor. She must have been the person who caused all of this chaos. And and even the fact that the police's response to seeing her with a knife was to shoot has everything to do with the fact that she was a big black woman because. Danielle, how many videos have you seen of white people wielding swords, hitting the police? Girl, come on, hitting the police, using their martial arts,
0: spitting in their faces,
1: spitting in their faces, slapping them, cursing them out, and those officers don't even think to reach for a weapon—not a taser, not a baton, not a handcuff—and so we have to be honest about how black girl bodies are literally read as more dangerous and also less valuable. Yes. Because the decision that's being made is whose life am I here to save and who yep. can and who can go in my efforts to save those lives. And Makaya's life ended up at the bottom. And that has everything to do with the fact that she was a fat black girl and people who refuse to acknowledge that are being intentionally obtuse at this point.
0: Do you think that because, you know, even in the title of your book, right, you use the word fat. Yeah. Right. And it is. Do you use it as a matter of fact? I'll just ask, why do you use the term? Why do you use the term fat?
1: Yeah. So I think it's really interesting because I think that, um, first of all, I use the term because I am fat. that's that's what I am that is a descriptor of my body that is that is how I look and I do understand that the word fat is very loaded and I think for a lot of people it it comes with a negative connotation and we've developed all of these other words like plus size or thick or voluptuous Mm -hmm. or or what you know whatever all these quote-unquote like Mm -hmm. euphemisms to describe fat that are supposed to um that are supposed to imply that we don't mean harm when we say them. And so I actually think that I intentionally use the word fat because I want people to actually come back to that place of discomfort. Like I I want you to come back to that place where you are thinking of fat as an inherently negative word so that then you can like hear everything else that I have to say and then hopefully question that. Like why, why the word fat was bad in the first place. And so that is, that is why I use that word. I've always gone by, you know, bad, fat black girl on the internet. That's, that was my social media handle. Honestly, you know, my, I wanted to title the book just notes from a trap feminist period. Like I, Mm -hmm. I I wanted that to be the title, um, as we were kind of workshopping some other titles that just because they thought folks would know my publisher, um, and my editor and my agent, they were like, okay, we're not sure that people are immediately going to know what trap feminists trap feminism is. So we might need another title that's like, right. That kind of brings people in to buy the book. And so I get why we got there, but I mean, that title, bad, fat black girl, obviously is super important to me. It's right there. (laughs) Um, you know, and, and that is how I identify, identify myself online, but I'm glad you brought this up too, because I think in the context of black folks and like black folks from the hood, you know, the, the body positivity space, traditionally has been represented by a lot of white people and a lot of white. Yes, it's been very, Mm -hmm. you know, like body positivity has been like overrepresented by whiteness. And I think one of the misconceptions that came out of that was that black people are somehow not fat phobic or less fat phobic. And that also wasn't true. So it was really important that I was able to talk about my fatness in the context of my Blackness to talk about the desirability and body politics and the kind of the economies of desirability within Black culture specifically. And again, trap music, trap culture was one of those sites where it was right there. We really saw how um, Black women's bodies were being talked about in that context. So I think another reason why it was important for me to really identify myself as fat In the context of this conversation was because it was important that folks didn't know that I was approaching like hip hop or um, hip hop criticism or commentary from the perspective of a video bixen like if we look at a lot of the women who have been allowed to take up spaces like uh, hip hop journalists or hip hop, you know.
0: Artists. They, yeah, hip yeah. Pop
1: artists, they all look a certain way, you know. Even somebody the like same, and,
0: per- particularly right now, exactly, they all look the same, yeah. And even somebody
1: <laughs> like Angela Yee, you know, who hosts like you know, I've arguably yep. one of the hugest, you know, hip hop talk shows. Um, and I've met Angela Yee, she's such a dope person. But you know, Angela Yee is light skinned, she's she's um, she's what a lot of people would consider desirable and attractive. She's saying she's not fat, you know, like there aren't no, like that women don't appear in hip hop. The closest thing we've got is. Lizzo and and the bigger yep. Lizzo and the the bigger the more famous Lizzo has gotten the more pop her music has started to sound like it like the, we 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 hardly even have room for people who are plus size in hip-hop so it was just really important for me to like insert myself in that way and to say no like it's a fat bitch talking right now can I curse on you I'm sorry
0: the show is called woke as fuck okay sorry, okay <laughs>
1: Yeah, like I needed people to know, like yeah, it's a bitch. Big, it's a big bitch talking, and y'all are gonna hear what I have to say, you know. Um,
0: you know, I, the one I I want to ask you this too, like just with regard to your podcast uh, purse first, and wanting to showcase uh, black female rappers as well as like black female queer rappers. You know, do do you think like? I hate when people say like, oh, we're in the golden age of like X, right? Um, but what do you feel about the prevalence or the way in which black female rappers are being marketed, are being presented right now?
1: You know, as a as a connoisseur of female rap, right? Um, I have always loved the Rap Girl ever since Trina, ever since Trina's nan burst, I have been a, a rap girl, girl. Okay. I think at first, I think I would say like in 2019, I was just, I was so excited because, and still am just to be clear, but in 2019, I was so excited because it was like, we had, not only did we have, um, you know, I think the goalpost for everybody was that we had more than one female rapper at a time. So not only did we have more than one female rapper at a time, but like we had Six Girls, make The Stallion, we had, you know, Rico Nasty, we had Every Mother. It was also like the diversity of the sounds. Like we were getting, um, you know, we had Doja Cat coming out, who was like, who's really like giving like kind of title the creator, all encompassing, creative vibes and then we had Megan who had this really deep voice with, like this like UGK type of inspired float and we had a city girl from Miami who would like direct and into Katrina we had Young and May, who was a, a stud from New York you know like we had this diversity of female rap and I was like oh this is lit this this is where it's at for me how I'm starting to feel these days I think coming into 2020 and 2021 is that obviously all female rappers have to thank the career trajectory of Nicki Minaj for the, the doors that have been able to been open to them in terms of the types of commercial success that they have been able to attain. And I think what a lot of people learned from that was that Nicki Minaj had to go through her awkward and in my opinion, terrible super bass phase, right? Where she was, you know, wearing pink chicken wing necklaces and making yeah, all Yeah, I just those didn't, look. I didn't understand Make, it. But yeah. Making, yeah, like, you know, wearing the big wigs, you know, doing, doing the Lady Gaga aesthetic and kind of making those yep. pop hits- yeah in order to in order to cross that threshold and be and become mainstream, and so now, what I'm seeing is that that is also kind of the formula that a lot of the rap girls are being forced to kind of also fit into it's like the moment they hit a certain amount of followers on Instagram it's like let's put them in a leotard and some tights let's teach them how to do a five six seven eight let's teach them how to do this when they hold the mic give us a give us some hand gestures <laughs> give us some dance moves, and let's find a cute and let's find a cute pop inspired beat to have them rap over and and I hate it I hate it because one um is compromising their artistry um, I think you mentioned Lotto earlier in this conversation. She's the most recent one that we've seen this. Her recent single is very, like a remake of a, of a Mariah Carey remake. And it is very much so not her. The video, she seems very unnatural. She seems like she's concentrating so hard on those moves. And also it has taken her out of a lane that she was actually occupying. We never asked Lil Durk to do choreo. We never asked Lil Baby to come do choreo and to come make pop songs. And it, and we do, we'll let them do the pop songs, but not in that way where we need, to need them to have a pop image. Like we let black men be hood niggas from start to finish. And then everyone yeah. else figures out a way to let them in. But I feel like with the rap girls, they don't get to just stay street bitches. They have to, at some point become glam girls or pop girls or pop stars or content creators or, or influencers or whatever, or whatever the case may be. Interesting. And yep. That is, that is frustrating. So I'm actually season two of purse first is going to be returning. We're just like figuring out our funding situation. And I cannot wait because me and my co host Pierre, who is a queer rapper, which is also another subset of folks that we have you know, on the show like we have so much to talk about around that and in around how they're kind of trying to follow this certain like. Um, make a female rapper template that is really watering down um. It's watering down the options, and you know, and it goes back to like kind of what I talked about in trap feminism, like when we talked about the sanitation of like black yep, women. Yeah, I was gonna
0: say. Yeah. yeah,
1: and and part of the reason why that was necessary is because there were a lot of like one dimensional representations of black people from the hood to the point where it was actually stereotypical. And I feel like what, what entertainment and music and Hollywood and everyone thought the solution to that was, well, let's lean into like black exceptionalism. Let's lean into, you know, black girls who go to I'm college, all the way to the other side of the spectrum. Well, like really that wasn't necessarily the solution. Well, like the actual answer was that, what y'all don't realize is that there are thousands of different stories from the hood that you could be telling. How about you just stop telling the same one? How about you stop only looking for the trauma and the tragedy in the hood and actually start looking at the joy and the, and the, and the creativity and the resilience and the fun and, you know, all of those things about it. And so, you know, like we don't need another show about the drug gang 50 cent. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's why so many people like P-Valley, because like, it was a different perspective on like, strippers than we, of Black strippers in particular that we've seen in a while. And so I think it's the same thing with, I I feel like I see people making that mistake with the rap girls. Um, People are like, oh, we didn't have enough women in rap. So now we, you know, Nicki Minaj was the only rap girl that we let be successful. So we need to have more than one rap girl who can be successful. Whereas actually it's like, Nicki Minaj was the only rap girl we let be successful. And we made Nicki Minaj compromise a lot of her artistry in order to do that. How about we actually let more black girls be successful in rap without having to compromise themselves? Like, let's just let's just let them stay who they want to be from start to finish.
0: And I feel like that is, you know, the the kind of premise and the theme of your book is just like, how about we just let black girls just be? Right. So be like, period, period. like that's, that's just like, how about we just let them be. Um, Cecily, I I just, thank you so much. This has been such a delightful conversation. Um, I am so excited for you. I wish you nothing but like oodles and oodles of success with bad fat black girl notes from a trap feminist. Everyone go and pick it up and buy it and support (laughs) I'm just, I'm I'm so excited for you. Uh, and I hope that you will come back and join us again.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much. This has been such a great full moment of us reconnecting. And I'm just, I'm so happy to be 10 here. years. I'm, it's been a decade. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> Thank you so much, Danielle. I appreciate it so much.
0: That is it for today's Woke AF Daily podcast. To hear more from today's show, support me on Patreon at patreon.com/wokeaf. Power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Right here, right now, find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. June 30th, 2024.